This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Today, I'm going to do what I've done here the last several times. I used to prep a message for weeks other places before I would do it on the road, but we're family, and, and so uh, what I do here is give birth uh, to a message, and usually they're not breach. And, uh, and so I'm working a message out today with you that I'm actually going to preach in Tulsa uh, in, in my church next week. So if you've got your Bibles, open to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, the title today is Greater Than Your Guilt, and I want you to think about this phrase uh, right here, guilty pleasure. When you hear that phrase, uh, guilty pleasure, pleasure, where does your mind go? Food, we heard it, right? Yeah, like most of us, right, in the South, initially our minds goes to something we eat that we shouldn't eat, and uh, if you're like my wife, it, it's something at Andy's, and uh, with, you know, a couple of three mix-ins, and I'll just confess to you, my palate is more mature than my wife's, and uh, so Andy's is not my choice, Kilwin's is my choice, and the toasted coconut there, I promise you, is going to be in heaven. Uh, it, it is going uh, with us. But for many Christian women today in the culture, this is the guilty pleasure, is this show on television. <laughs> and uh, for the Branson demographic, they've added uh, the, the, the Golden uh, Bachelor. And, and in fact, my two daughters a few weeks ago were uh, having this conversation in the car. I have a daughter who's 23 and is married and has moved on, and, and then a 17-year-old, and we all went to visit her. And so in the car, my older one is describing this new show to the younger one, and the younger one says, that's gross. And, and, and uh, it's an old guy, and, and are the women, is it 30 Oh, women, that, or is it like, is he hitting on children? Like, you know, on the other shows. And, and she said, no, I said 30 old women, not 30-year-old women. They're old women, 30 of them. And he is like, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out. And, and listen, if that's part of your life, this show is part of your life, there's only one Bible word for you, repent. <laughs> guilty pleasure. What, what about this phrase, uh, guilty conscience? See, that's when you've done something. You've done something wrong, and, and whether anyone else knows about it or not, you feel bad about it. You can't sleep. Maybe you can't eat. It, it, it gnaws on you and gets at your very soul because you know you've messed up and you're scared. You're, you're scared what's going to happen if somebody uh, finds out. That's a guilty conscience. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, uh, and, and as I listed off a list of different sins, right? And, and I, I'm not going to do this. But, but if I listed this list of sins and said, hey, put your hand up on it, I could go not very long. Eventually, we'd have everybody, right? Everybody raise their hands. And, and, and for you, it may be a while. For others of you, it'd feel like you're at an auction. Like, <laughs> that's me. You'd be like you're collecting the sins in the list, but maybe it's uh, sexual sin. Maybe it's relational sin. Maybe it's a little sin or a big sin. Maybe it's pride or greed or lust or anger or gluttony or envy or, or sloth. Maybe you cheated on your taxes a little bit. Maybe you have a hidden addiction to pornography or painkillers or, or shopping, and you've covered it up, but you feel guilty about it. And, and it brings you pleasure, sure. That's, that's why uh, you do it, but, but it's also hurt your conscience. 
to, to the degree that you feel it, and it's almost like you have a headache all the time, and, and you walk around with it, and you have to face it every morning, and, and, and you don't want to feel that way, and, uh, but you do. And, and maybe at times you've tried to resolve it, and, and you, you've repented to God, or you've asked forgiveness of, uh, of other people, but still it feels like it's always hanging over your head. And maybe it's because the damage feels permanent, like, like a broken marriage or a lost job or a recurring health problem, all because you've messed up and now you're paying for it with guilt. And, and here's what I want you to know, church, that sense of guilt, it can drive us. So sometimes more than we know, uh, you, you have these feelings and you don't know why. And uh, to help you discern that, I put together a little guilt quiz and, and you can check off the ones that uh, apply to you. Maybe for you, close relationships don't last. That there's such a, a, a deep wound, such a deep sense of dissatisfaction that people can't get close to you because if you let them get close to you, eventually they'll touch that wound. Or, or, or maybe you're chronically tired and, and you're always feeling tired. You're easily distracted because you carry this big burden around all the time. And, and it's exhausting. Uh, may, maybe you laugh at other people's expense. You find humor in other people being hurt. And it's almost like seeing them at their worst makes you feel better about you at, at your worst. Maybe you respond negatively, negatively to any criticism. Anybody relate to that one? You can't handle it because it just eats at you. Again, it's touching that wound that you have. Maybe you're paranoid about what others think about you because you project the negative things you think about you onto what you think they think uh, about you. Or, or maybe uh, you sabotage your own efforts all of the time at work, in relationships with, with your family because deep down you feel like you don't deserve to succeed. And maybe you said yes to several of these, but even if you only said yes to one of them, you, you have a guilty conscience. And you want to deal with it, but maybe you don't know how. In, in our church over the last few months, we've been reading through the book of Hebrews. We've been studying this amazing book called Hebrews. And... Uh, the writer's been telling us in the first seven or eight chapters about a better way, about a greater way, and how that better way and that greater way is found in and through Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus did, we have so much more. And today, as we'll see, one of the things that we have is erasing our guilt. That's something we have in Jesus Christ, not covering it, not, not alleviating it for a moment, but actually removing it forever. And, and because I've been in a series for uh, months now, I just want to summarize for you in a minute the first seven chapters uh, of the book of Hebrews. And it talks about Jesus being our great high priest. And he points out the fact that the Old Testament priest, even the high priest, is a foreshadowing. It's a shadow of the real priest, Jesus Christ, the substance behind uh, the shadow. Then you get to chapter 8, the writer turns a corner a little bit, he begins to talk about the temple. And he says the temple is a shadow. It's an earthly building that represents this heavenly realm. And in chapter 8, verse 2, he says, He, that is Jesus, ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And now we turn the corner into chapter 9. And in chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews gives us this fly-through of temple theology. 
And we're going to look at part of it here in just a second. But again, let me just summarize the first five verses uh, for you. Let me summarize it. Uh, He shows us a couple of sections, intersections of the tabernacle or the temple. I've taught on this many, many times before, but, but the first section is the holy place. And the first piece of furniture, there are three major pieces of furniture in there, is the lampstand that was burning day and night, night and day, it was always burning as a symbol of the fact that God's presence is always with his children. Then you have the table of showbread, which had 12 loaves of fresh bread on it all of the times called the bread of the presence. It served as a continual reminder of the uh, continual presence and provision of God. And then the third piece of furniture is the altar of incense, which uh, served a couple of purposes. The first is it's a barrier between them and God, going into the holy of holies. The second is is that it reminded them, like that incense, their prayers are always rising up to God. And then the second section, that's the first section. The second section, the holy of holies. That's where the presence of God was, where the ark was. But there's this curtain that is separating uh, the, the first chamber from the second chamber. And it is a really thick curtain, four inches thick. And it's woven of 72 cords each, 24 strands of blue and red and purple, symbolizing the majesty of God, the royalty of God, and the blood of Jesus Christ. And when that curtain was closed, which was always, the holy of holies was in unapproachable darkness. Now, we're at verse 6, where I want to start reading today. So if you got your Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 9 and, and verse 6. It says, the priest regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest, say hi, only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always, before he went in to take care of the sins of the other people, offered blood for his own sins because uh, that he had now offering for people, and I want you to underline this phrase, who had committed these sins in ignorance, right? And, and so once a year, on a day we call the Day of Atonement, the Jews call it Yom Kippur, should be on your radar, right? Because we just celebrated this a couple weeks ago, and it is zero coincidence that this war that is happening uh, there is on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. But Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement, and on that one day, only the high priest would go in and sprinkle blood on the ark for all of their sins to be covered for one year. Now, the week of atonement, week before the day of atonement, leading up to it, it was a very intense week. For a whole week beforehand, the high priest would go into seclusion. But because if he did anything that would cause him to be unclean, he would be unable to go into the Holy of Holies. So he had to make sure that that he didn't go to Andy's, right? And he he had to be sure that that, that he didn't stop by kill ones. But he had to be sure that he didn't touch a dead body or eat something unclean like a cheeseburger or a, a shrimp cocktail. But the night before the Day of Atonement, he didn't go to bed. He stayed up all night praying and reading God's Word to purify his soul. Then on the day of Yom Kippur, from head to toe, he would dress in these royal, unstained, white linen uh, royal robes, and and he would go into the Holy of Holies. But before he would go in uh, to offer up a sacrifice for Israel, he had to offer up a sacrifice for himself. Why? The writer of Hebrews points out he was imperfect. He he was sinful himself. 
He was an imperfect person in an imperfect system looking for perfection. And all of that rigor more and parade that he did lasted for one year only. All of that to cover it up for one year. Now let's keep reading. In verse 9, he says, this is an illustration. Circle that word in your Bible. Pointing to the present time. That word illustration in this translation is the Greek word that really is the word in English for parable. And, and what's a parable? A parable is one thing that points to something Else, and that something else in this case is better or, or greater. Now look at what he goes on to say. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priest offer are not able. Say not able. You should underline that in your Bible, and it's a sad, sad verse because the sacrifices in the verse that the priest offer are not able to what? To cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. In other words, this is not arm's length theology. This is actually very practical to our lives. Those of us with a guilty conscience, there's a huge difference between what that high priest did and what our high priest, Jesus Christ, did for us. But, but I want you to see something. The old system is a shadow it's a type. It's a shadow of the new system. The, in the shadow, we actually get a glimpse of what Jesus would do one day when he would go to Calvary and would die and shed his own blood and then would rise from the dead again to enter the glories of, of heaven. Let, let's keep reading. Look at verse 11. So Christ has now become our high priest over all the good things that have come. He, Jesus, has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. Now, if you study the, the last week of the life of Jesus, we call it the Passion Week. And one of these days, I'm going to do a, a trip to Israel, and we're going to do just the Passion Week. And we're going to start in Bethany, and we're going to walk over the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane and walk that path that Jesus walked in the last week of his life. But i got to get in shape first because it's a lot of walking. But when you study the Passion Week of, of Jesus' life, you'll see just like that high priest went through preparation, Jesus himself went through preparation. In fact, when you read the story, it's as if Jesus knew the story. And it's as if he is preparing for himself his own personal day of atonement. And just like the high priest walked through a week of preparation and then entered the Holy of Holies as a sacrifice, you're going to watch Jesus do something very similar. In fact, I've created a, a chart to compare and contrast the high priest and Jesus. The, the high priest prepared a week in Jerusalem. Jesus also, when you read the story, prepared a week in, in Jerusalem. The, the high priest stayed up all night praying. Uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane also stayed up all night praying. The high priest wore a robe of royalty. The, uh, Jesus wore a robe of royal purple. Remember the soldiers bartered over uh, his clothing. Now the first three in my list of seven are, are total comparison, right? The, the next four actually contrasted a bit to show you how what Jesus did is even greater and more complete than what the high priest did. Uh, look, look at this. The high priest offered a sacrifice for his own sin where Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for all sin. The, the 
the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, Jesus entered the Holy of Holies in the heavenlies, the real one, not the picture or, or the shadow. The, the high priest sprinkled, sprinkled blood on the ark. Jesus shed his own blood on the cross. The, the high priest covered up the guilt of the people. Jesus removed the guilt from all of the people. Listen, church, Jesus is able to do something far greater than that high priest could do. He did something amazing. He took away our guilt. And the writer keeps going to explain how uh, Jesus did that. Let's look, let's keep reading. Uh, With his own blood, say own. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time. Underline that phrase. We'll come back to it in a second. Once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Listen, blood is required because it was the only way to remove guilt. But blood alone, the blood of animals, of goats and heifers and bulls was never enough to take care of that forever. It was only temporary and and at that it was limited. Now, don't believe for a second that the whole show uh, of the Old Testament meant nothing. It meant a lot. In fact, what it meant was to show and to foreshadow and to be a picture of what was really to come. But it left those people in that system with this gnawing sense of how temporary it all was, wondering if one day God would send a lamb that would take care of this once and for all. Look at what he goes on to say. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Circle those two words in your Bible, ceremonial impurity. Ceremonial impurity meant that you couldn't go into the temple. And it might have been something as simple as stepping into the house of a Gentile. It might have been something as big as sleeping with a prostitute. But that thing, that event, that moment would keep you out of God's presence which was the point. You're on the outside looking in. And to get in, you had to bring something with you to sacrifice and and, and to give God, to get back in his good graces until you were unclean again. And over and over and over again it went. It had to be exhausting. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Just think how much more... The blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that, circle those words, so that, and don't miss this, so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. Now remember, this book, Hebrews, is written to a group of people who are Hebrews. They came out of the old Jewish system. They knew the Jewish system, and they had converted to Christianity, found the completion of the system that they had been studying. And now they're attending these New Testament gatherings, these New Testament worship gatherings. And I'm confident that at points, at different points in their journey, they would walk into those New Testament gatherings and kind of be tempted to think or maybe even say, this all feels so one-dimensional. I mean, in our old system, there were all these smells and bells and sights and sounds, and, and, and we don't have any of that. This just feels a bit flat. But the writer is indicating to go clamoring for the smells and bells and the sights and sounds is to totally misunderstand 
altogether what Jesus has done for us. It's to totally miss what Christ has done for you. Notice that that verse doesn't say that our guilt is covered up. It doesn't say that our guilt is excused. It says that God made us pure. That's very different. Right? Forgiveness means you're released from all the negative consequences of your guilt. Purity means you're given an exalted position of righteousness. You're not just called righteous. You are righteous. You're not just called clean. You are clean. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then all has been taken care of. The old is gone and only the new lies before you. Now look at what he says. He says it's a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. Perfect means what? Perfect means that it did what the old couldn't do which was imperfect. The old system covered your guilt. The new system removes it. The the old system excused you. The new system justifies you just as if you've never sinned. And the Bible says it was once and for all. Remember in verse 12, it was once and for all secured for all time. The, The great old preacher Charles Spurgeon said it would be unjust for God in the life of believers to now punish them for their sins because that would be requiring two sacrifices for the very same sin. Because Jesus entered heaven himself. He offered himself. And he wasn't just the priest, the king, and the prophet. He was the priest, the king, and the prophet, and the sacrifice. He he was also the sacrifice. John Calvin says the shedding of blood is not a sign of power, particularly in execution or in sacrifice. It's actually a sign of weakness. But listen, Jesus didn't shed someone else's blood. He shed his own blood. The whole point of being a king was that somebody else would bleed for you in your place. Jesus was the king who shed his own blood and bled himself. So so let me try to tie a bow on all of what we've read today with with three points that have come out of these scriptures. We spent the last 15 or 10 minutes, uh, 20 minutes reading And I want you to write these down, okay? Because you'll need these later in your life as you're trying to understand how Jesus completed this system. But in the verses we've read, the old system, the access was restricted. Remember, the regular priest couldn't even go in at all. And the high priest could only go in once a year. But in Christ, you and I can walk right in and sit down. And have an audience with the king of kings. Uh, Point number two is the cleansing was partial. The the access was restricted, but the cleansing was partial. The washings could only do so much. That barrier was not really the curtain. The curtain was a picture of the real barrier, which is the sin in our hearts. And and so the access was restricted. The cleansing was partial. But but number three, the pardon was limited. The provisions, we read it a moment ago, were for sins that were committed in ignorance. That you did, that the people did by accident. All of that rigmarole was to cover sins that we did by accident. How guilty would that leave the the people feeling who did sin on purpose? Who knew what was right and didn't do it? Who knew what was wrong and did it anyways? Now, back in that verse, in verse 14, uh, it says, just think how much more Say more. The blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. We all want to be cleansed. That's obvious, but don't forget the so that. 
What's it all for? So that we can worship him truly with freedom, unhindered, unabandoned. Think about the thief on the cross that died next to Jesus. The one who converted. His own blood shed that dripped all over his cross did nothing for him. But the blood on the cross next to him from the fellow that was dying on that cross did everything for him. Can you imagine what that thief experienced when he got to heaven? I I love how the Scottish preacher Alistair Begg imagines this whole story playing out. What a great imagination that that thief is walking around heaven and, and he's never been to a Bible study. He's never been baptized. He doesn't know one thing about church membership. And he's walking around heaven. He made it. How did he make it? And Alistair said, surely an angel walked up to him and said, sir, what what are you doing here? And he replied, I I, I don't know. You don't know? What what do you mean you don't know? I I mean, I don't know. Wait right here. Let, Let me get my supervisor. And he brings the supervising angel back who, who, who wants to ask this fellow some questions. He says, sir, I've got, I've got a list of questions for you. Let, let's just begin with, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I, I never heard of it in my whole life. But, but you do know about the doctrine of Scripture. And the guy's just staring back blankly. Eventually, after a whole host of questions and frustration, the the angel says, by what basis are you here? And, And listen as that thief says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's all I know. The man on the middle cross said I could come. And it's the only answer. And I love what Alistair says, because if you try to answer that question in any other way, you try to put that answer in first person, because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Listen, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he what? But because he granted the access that was restricted, because he completed the cleansing that was only partial, and because he widened the pardon that was limited. That's what we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and open your hearts? And no doubt in a crowd this size and all of the venues represented that are full of people today and those watching online as well, no doubt there are men and women and boys and girls who have come today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The blood has never been applied to your life you don't know him as Lord and Savior you have a guilty conscience we're so glad you're here to offer you the completed truth that comes in the person of Jesus Christ and I want to help you apply the blood not of a sacrificial lamb but of the lamb of God to your life I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do just that Some of you say, well, I'm new. I I don't even know how to pray, okay? 
I'll pray it one phrase at a time for you so that you can simply repeat it after me. But I don't want you to repeat it in a rote fashion. I, I want you to pray it to a God in heaven. And if that's you today, you want to trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. In fact, I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud with me. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. The believing in your heart is on you. The confessing of your mouth, I want to help you with. In fact, as an encouragement to those of you who are going to pray this for the first time in your life today, I'm going to ask all the men and women around you who've already prayed this to pray it out loud as an encouragement to you so that you will not pray it alone today. But if you want to trust Christ right where you're seated, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and for the first time in your life you meant business, you're trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior with nobody looking except for me, would you just raise your hand in this room and say, Pastor, that's me. I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. Just raise your hand high so that I can see it. Okay, okay. Okay, I, I see several hands to my left, to my right. I see some on the back row. A- anybody else to my right? You prayed that prayer and you meant it to your left. Okay, I see you back there, right here. A couple of you right here. Hands slipping up all over the room. I'm sure in the other venues as well. Could I ask you to do this quietly and without looking? Would you just stand to your feet all across the room? All of you, would you just stand to your feet all across the room? And, and I want to finish the prayer with us standing. So all of you, if you would, just stand up with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask at this time as we stand for all of the prayer team to come and stand across the front of the room and, and all of the venues Would the prayer team come now and, and just stand across the front of the room. And for those of you who just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, you're trusting Jesus, I want you to tell one person today before you leave. And these men and women are here standing at the front of all of these venues this morning. You say, I don't know what to say to them. All you have to say is, I prayed that prayer. That's all you got to say. They'll take it from there. But they want to encourage you. They want to help you in your new walk with Christ. They want to make sure you have a Bible. They want to get your name so they can put you on a prayer list. I just encourage you to do that before you leave today. Now, Father, over this church, I pray your continued anointing and blessing. Father, I pray for Ted and his family, for the staff and their families, for all those who serve to make this thing come alive week after week. I pray for anointing and favor and purity. And I pray, Father, that the cause of Christ and the gospel of Jesus would advance forcefully in Branson in the days and the years to come. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for saving men and women and boys and girls today. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen.